All right, let's get into the word. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is your first time here this morning. We're really in the book of Acts. As we're traveling through the book of Acts, as, as we're stopping in each one of these communities that we're being communicated to, that the gospel is going into, we're kind of hitting the pause button on each one of those, those communities and getting to know them better. So in Acts 18, it's when the Lord sends Paul to the Corinthians. So we've been getting to know the Corinthians through 1 Corinthians, now in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a letter that's very, it's emotional. You have the heart of the Apostle Paul sitting as a pastor in damaged relationships with the Corinthians, the men and women who he brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to, that they responded to as he leaves that community. Other teachers have come in that are standing in opposition to Paul as a man and his leadership and his person and his communication. So there's these tensions that have gone on. Paul has revisited the community. It's called the painful visit of Paul. He sent a painful letter. Last week as we ended, it was, Paul was encouraging them that his letter, he was sorry that it made them sorry, but he was happy that their sorrow was godly sorrow. Not the sorrow of the world that leads to death, but sorrow that comes from the Lord that it's like, wait a minute. Like, the Lord is confronting my soul in this issue, and I recognize that I'm off, and I'm sad that I'm off, and I'm saddened by the pain that I brought into the lives of other people. And godly sorrow, it says, leads to repentance and the, the fruit of that repentance in their lives. So Paul is praising them and encouraging them. At the same time, so he's gotten positive uh, communication from Titus. So he sent the painful letter with Titus. Titus sits in that community as they're processing through that. Titus comes back to Paul and is given that information to Paul. Now Paul is writing back. So he's still sitting in. Some of them have repented. Not everybody has. He's still telling some that they need to be reconciled. He's telling some that they need to check their hearts, that they need to examine themselves in Christ. And we'll continue to get into that. So Paul's using very, um, he's using challenging language. He's using language that's defending himself. He's using language that's standing in opposition to many in the community still. And then as he's given them the hard speech, he's also giving them the, the elated speech that I, I do love you. I am proud of you. I'm boasting about who you are in Jesus and all that the Lord has done in your lives to these other communities. And now he's, and he's kind of sticking it to him in a way, so don't make my boasting to be a lie. So when, again, he's preparing them for his visit. So part of the visit, the reason why he is coming is not just to further be reconciled in relationship with the community. It's for the specific collection. So we're going to talk about giving today. And if you've been here for any length of time, those who have been here for years, can you count on the number of hands that I talk about giving? Or do I say give every single week? So again, this is, uh, I don't sit in, in American manipulation and metrics and all that kind of stuff at all. We sit in the generosity of God, and this is an incredible section. So we're going to cover chapters 8 and 9. And we're going to bookend it this morning as we're going to read through everything. It ends with this phrase, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that is really the, the sentence that's going to, it's what is revolving around Paul's conversation and it's going to revolve around 
our conversation. So, 2 Corinthians 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality, literally of their generosity. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency, with much encouragement, that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage. It's profitable. Not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to, according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality. And now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be an equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered Little had no lack, in reference to the manna in Exodus, chapter six, or verse 16. But thanks be to God, grace be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord, and we have sent with him the brother whose praises in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show you and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many ways, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers, literally apostles of the churches, the glory of Christ. You underline a mark in your Bible. 
just that definition there, you know, churches, plural, being identified as the glory of Christ. That's how we're supposed to look at the, at the church. Therefore, show to them that before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you and to the Macedonians that Achaia, Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this, uh, of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful, literally a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may, be, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And that's not talking about the Lord, it's talking about an individual who loves the Lord. He is scattered abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness from God is what endures from forever. Verse 10. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and the increase and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As always, Paul's a wordy guy. And I, I uh, recognize that because I resemble that. Um, but there's a lot of information communicated in here. And ultimately, again, I said that we we're going to bookend this morning with that last sentence. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So before we even talk about what generosity looks like, um, we want to sit in who is it that our God is and what is it that our God has done that Paul is giving thanks to God for what's described as this indescribable gift. 
Because again, the exhortation in the very beginning was the, as, we, as we're talking about what the Macedonians have done and what the Corinthians have done and what they've committed to do, and this is all revolving around a commitment to take a gift of finances to the poor who were in and around Jerusalem. So we know from the book of Acts, there was a prophet who went to Antioch, and while he was Antioch, Agabus said that there was going to be a famine in the whole world. And while they were in Antioch, the, the Antioch believers in Christ, they took up a collection to take to Jerusalem to meet the need before the famine even came to meet the need of what they knew was going to come, that there would be a famine in all the world. And regardless of what was going on in Jerusalem specifically and all of its different nuances, uh, the church there was in poverty and it was in need of outside help to provide for their daily needs. That gift was sent by Barnabas and Paul to administer that gift to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. As you travel through in Galatians, when Paul, you know, it's, this is over a decade after he came to Jesus to begin with, when he goes to Jerusalem, he receives this right hand of fellowship, so to say, by James and John and Peter, and their exhortation to Paul, recognizing what God was doing in Paul's life, was that clearly God has called you to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and their exhortation to Paul was to remember the poor. And Paul says, this, that was already what was in my heart to begin with. So Paul, just as a man, as a believer, he has a, an attention to the poor, and specifically the poor in the body of Christ. And something tells me in the variety of communities that he's going to. He mentions this specific collection in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Again, a year prior where they've committed to give this gift that's going to go to Jerusalem. He's telling them to gather this gift on a weekly basis. So once he actually shows up to collect the gift, that it doesn't have this kind of attitude. Uh-oh, Paul's here. Now, now all we're going to do is talk about money. He wants to avoid that. So he wants the gift to be ready for when they travel. So we see that in 1 Corinthians 16. And Paul even mentions the, the giving of the Macedonians and the giving here of the church in Corinth to the church of Rome, giving them his schedule. Hey, this is what I'm planning to do. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm taking this gift to our brothers and sisters that's been so abundantly supplied. So those are all the dynamics that are going on. Paul, again, he's trying to bring about reconciliation in the re relationship in Corinth. So he's sending these messengers ahead, just all the information that we just read. He's sending Titus. They already have a relationship with Titus. This unnamed brother is a brother from this community that is there in relationship. He's going to go with them to Jerusalem, there's going to be a party traveling together, one for protection. I mean, who knows how much cash, but I can't imagine you know, strapping a chest box to the back of a donkey or something and getting halfway around the world at that point in time safely. It's one of those, uh, the, you know, the logistics that I can only imagine the difficulty in administering this gift. So there's a lot going. There's representatives from the different churches that are going with Paul uh, for accountability and ultimately for fellowship and relationship with those who are going to receive the gift. So all those different dynamics are going on in the text. Now we're going to talk about, well, what does this look like in our life? 
And again, the first thing, what does Paul say in verse 4 of chapter 8? Or verse 5, it says, not only as we had hoped, but what he's talking about the Macedonians, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And this is where when you talk about money, when you talk about your, your finances, when you talk about your time, when you talk about all the, the decisions that you make in regards to what you do in your behavior every single day, the first exhortation as a believer in the Lord is you first give yourself to Jesus. And this occurs, he says, he encourages them in verse 9. He already tells you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his favor, his kindness, his compassion. This is the idea that we need to sit in the gospel every single day and preach it to ourselves. What is it that Jesus gave up to become just like you and just like me? You know, we have this description in, in Colossians. Here we just sit and meditate on it. And what is it that the almighty God stepped off of his throne and stepped into the womb of Mary? What is it that he was born into poverty? He chose to be born into poverty, not into a palace. What is it, what is it that, you know, what did his life look like? What did his teaching look like as we sit in the four gospels? What did his sacrifice for us look like as we're all crying out that God would come and rule humanity physically? Do away with all sin. Do away with all evil and darkness. All those things that make us cringe. What is it that he was doing as he was dying on the cross? So we already sat in 2 Corinthians that the Father was in Jesus reconciling the entire world, every single human soul to himself. Again, this is where we sit in God's indescribable gift. It's undeserved. It is outlandish. The depths of it are unknowable, yet we are told to pursue it, to know but we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he who was rich, he emptied himself of all of his wealth to become just like us, to become poor, and ultimately the servant of every single human being. And not a single one of us deserve it. And not just the people that we think are good, but all the people that make us just cringe and shake on the inside. He emptied himself of all of those riches to become the servant of all. So that what? For a goal. There's, is there a fruit of the cross? Which is only human beings who turn to him through faith are now allowed access back to the God who created us. That we have this hope and this confidence that there's coming a day that we're going to be just like him. We were talking about this this morning. What are we going to see when we see God the Father? Again, we groan for this. We yearn for this. These are, again, this is we talk about your giving, your finances. The first, number one, is you need to personally give yourself to God, to your Lord, to your Savior. 
You need to give yourself to the pursuit of him. You need to give yourself to the knowledge of him as he has revealed himself, not our imaginations and not our idols. Who is this God that you bend the knee to? Who is this Jesus that you say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. All of that, your identity, your thought processes, the circumstances of your life, where you choose to serve, where you choose to give, everything is supposed to be generated from that first position. If I am overwhelmed by the indescribable generosity and gift of God. And it's from that position as we are in him, as we have given ourselves to him, like here, I, here am I, Lord, all of me. I surrender all. That includes, that's everything. It's time. It's money. It's sacrifice. It's uh, here I am, Lord. You're in control of my life. You lead me because I am directed at you every single day. Then, when we're in that position, then we give ourselves to others. And this is a lot of what Paul is talking about. He's encouraged the Corinthians, our heart is wide open to you. You be open to us. There's, there's right, the tension is there. They feel like they need to protect themselves as we interact with other believers. As you interact with a local congregation, we want to make sure that people, money, stewardship, that everything is in line with God's will and not man's will, correct? Like we need to have open conversations about all these kinds of things. So there's wisdom as we give ourselves to others. But ultimately, he's talking about this position of understanding the generosity of God, understanding who the Lord is, and then from that position, engaging with the world around us with attention to those who are without, who are in need, who lack. So... I sit in, you know, just in my full-time job at the ministry that I work with, the elevator pitch in regards to it is many of you and many people have financial strategies. You have your budget that you sit in. You have what you're going to, you know, what your outflows look like, your mortgage and your car payments and insurance go down through the list of all of your expenses. Most of us, it is wise to save for retirement in some fashion. So we, we are to sit in some kind of strategy, goals. What's your goal for the future? You know, as we have the blessings in this, con- in this country for how wealthy we are, we have the opportunity to retire. What does that look like for you? Are you praying through it? Are you planning? Are you aiming at a goal? Most people sit in financial planning and financial strategies. Most people do not sit in any kind of giving strategy. Do you have a strategy when it comes to the money that you desire to give? Again, all of this, none of, none of our giving is supposed to be through manipulation. You sit in the mailers that you get in the mail. If you've ever given to one ministry, you know how, how they spend more marketing you over the next subsequent years than your initial donation that you gave. You can sit in the TV televangelist where everybody's demanding money. And when you sit in a nonprofit, if you are in, whether it's a Christian nonprofit, secular nonprofit, the ask needs to go out there. You're constantly developing those income streams so that you can achieve the mission that you're seeking to achieve. And you want like-minded individuals giving to that, working alongside together to achieve a goal, yes? 
But there has to be a strategy in it. There has to be a focus. And this is, this has nothing to do with tithing. This has nothing to do with giving to local church. This has nothing to do with um, that kind of, uh, you know, the giving that we'd sit in here. The focus of this is the giving that we would do as a congregation to Kenya. So God is the one who's given us the relationship with Meshach's dad, Michael, and Kenya. And we've committed as a congregation to invest in them. What? Because they have a lack. They sit in poverty. They sit in need. So where we get to come alongside of them as a congregation to see that need and determine amongst ourselves, this is something where God is causing us to have a free heart. Our minds are ready to give and to help. We want to invest in the pastors. We want to build churches. We want to help the widows sustain themselves in their, in their culture and their climate. And we want to help those kids. We want to help them to be educated and have the same opportunities that we can sit in Meshach's testimony. A kid with no shoes, now a PhD professor in California, right? We want to be able to give those opportunities. Strategy. And again, this is Paul, what Paul is doing. Again, it's not dealing with the, the finances of the local Corinthian church. It's dealing with the need in Jerusalem. Our brothers and sisters are in desperate need of help. And as Paul is engaging with them, They've invested in you spiritually. You know, this is the birthplace of Christianity. And as Paul is going out to these places, that fellowship that goes back to that community, you're watching the willing hearts just um, respond to what they've received. And for me personally, you know, we're going to, I titled this morning's message, Scatter. Because jump down to chapter 9, verse 9, and this is really just, is we sit in the idea of sowing and reaping. You know, you can sit in Jesus' parable of the sower, where he is talking about soil conditions and relating them to the human heart. But he's talking about the word of God is what is being scattered. It's what's being sown. It's what's being cast out. As we sit in our own personal meditation, I I want to ask you to ask the question of God for yourself is where is he having you scatter your seed? Where is he asking you to invest? Where is he asking you to plant, to sow? And this this takes takes on every single nuance of your life, whether it's... um, you know, again, you're, you're giving to God, whether this is your job, whether this is your service to the Lord, whether this is uh, how you're interacting with your children. This is, Lord, where are you asking me to cast seed, to scatter? You have provided me with all of these different resources, time, talent, treasure, and you are asking me to take what you have given to me and to be thankful for what you have given to me and how you have provided, and to be like, to remember all of his indescribable gifts that he has given to me. But you've given so, not so that I can squander everything on myself and be all fat and happy, but how are you asking me to send that out? I want you to sit in that question just prayerfully. God, where, where are you asking me to invest? What are you asking me to aim at? 
And there are thousands of Christian missionaries, missions, work that you can invest in and aim at, and we would all applaud and say that's awesome. But you can't. You can do one. You can do two. If you're going to have real relationship other than just write a check, the, the fruit that is going to be produced, it is produced by the Lord. But again, if you are just holding on, you're sitting on to your time. I don't want to sacrifice. Um, you're sitting on your finances. I don't want to sacrifice. I want to hold on to these things. Again, the, the whole exhortation of the word of God is to have a generous, open life just as Jesus did. And that generosity, it comes at a great cost. It is supposed, you are supposed to feel your generosity. When you write the check, when you click send, whatever that transaction looks like, you ought to feel that gift going out. You ought to feel that it's costing you something. You ought to feel rather than doing this or buying that or spending my time over here, it's, I'm sacrificing that to do what the Lord is directing me to do. And all of this is supposed to be free from what? Free from a guy like me with a finger in your chest telling you what you ought to do with what God has given to you. Because we're really good at having opinions on each other's lives of, well, if I had what you had, that's what I'd be doing with that. Or I see what you have, and I'm telling you what you ought to be doing with your time, your talents, and your treasure. That's not our calling from God. My exhortation to you is, do you sit in that conversation with God? And I know many of us do. Statistically, it's, uh, I think it's 3% of Christians, less than 3% of Christians tithe to their local congregation. Our congregation, we're, we're over 50%. This isn't even a conversation that we need to have in our midst. We sit in 40 years of history as a congregation. We sit in the sacrificial generosity of people who aren't even here anymore, who have come in and out of the congregation over the years. We sit on 13 acres of property, a 20 plus thousand square foot building, everything is debt free. That's not because of us, it's because of a history of believers that have invested. Now as we're stewarding these kinds of things, we need to steward what God has given to us, and we do so faithfully. And we praise the Lord. And then at the same time, Lord, getting our eyes up off of our needs as a congregation. So again, we've mentioned this multiple times before, but as a congregation, we tithe out of here. Whether it's to a local ministry like Whispering Hope, uh, standing in that gap to help women and men that are in those relationships make the choice for life. Whether it's international missions and investing in the lives of others halfway around the world. You know, these, we want to do whatever the Lord has directed us to do, trusting that he is the one who produces the fruit. He's the one that produces his righteousness in our lives and in the lives of others. Do you know how much you were prayed for by your Kenyan and Ugandan brothers and sisters? I bet we would be on the floor in tears how much they pray for us as a congregation. Because we have been able to meet their lack. 
And then we go. The relationship, the, the, the true fellowship there, it's, it's overwhelming. And as they're praying to it, as we get to sow, send out what the Lord has given to us, again, the, the, what Paul is communicating, God is being thanked. This is where we get the word Eucharist from. It's to speak well of. And where it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, it's literally, grace be to God for his indescribable gift. As we sit in communion and we hold, again, this is, this is why after every message we want to pause and remember who Jesus is. What is it that he is speaking to you this morning? How is it that he encourages you through his words? How is it that our brothers and sisters of generations past cause your heart to celebrate? I celebrate with the sacrifice of the Macedonians. I don't know what it means that they were in deep poverty. I have my imagination, but I celebrate who Jesus was in them at that time for their desire to minister to those that even had less than them. I, I think it's fabulous. I love sitting in the testimonies of, again, there's a lot of stones that you hear thrown at the church in America and the church throughout the world, and it's really easy to focus on the negatives. Oh, I love sitting in all the positive stories about what the body of Christ is doing in our culture. It is really amazing. It's not what gets the news. It's not what makes headlines. But when you sit in it, it's just, God, praise you. I praise you that you're the same God to me that you are to all these other people. It's just, it's awesome. Worship team, come on up. And Father, we just we want to turn our attention not back to you, Lord. Our attention is always on you. We want to keep our attention on you. We want to know and understand this gift that you have given to us that is really beyond words. I sit in my life and my context, Lord, and I've meditated this week on all the different gifts that you have given to me. Even when I felt like I am the one who is sacrificing, I am the one who is giving to you, I have truly never been able to outgive you. You have been faithful to me, Lord. Even in the times when I felt like there was no provision, that I was sitting in need and lack, how you provided for me, Lord, was, it's, it's indescribable. I'm praying for all of us as, as a body of Christ, Lord, that you would show us individually where we're supposed to sow our seeds. Where do you want us to invest? Where do you want us to plant, Lord? Where, what plants do you want us to tend and nurture and water? We trust, Lord, that you are the one who brings about your righteousness, not only in our lives, but in those lives that you're calling us to invest in. Lord, let us be free from the manipulation of man and all of these things, but to be motivated by your spirit. As you give to us the knowledge of the grace of Jesus, we want to be holy because you're holy. We want to love because you love. 
We want to be righteous because of your righteousness. We want to be just because you are justice. We want to be merciful because you're merciful. We want to be kind because you're kind. We want to be free because you're free. We want power because you are power. We want the ability to do, Lord. And we want to be generous because you were generous. Cause us to be hilarious sowers in this world. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.